We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ on this wonderful Sunday. Uh, Today we're talking about growth, Uh, specifically how do we as believers continue to grow in our faith and in our relationship to our God above. And I, I think on some level we know how important that is, at least I think in our minds we know how important that is. And part of that, I think, is because we look around our world and we know how important growth and maintenance is in almost every aspect. You buy a brand new house, maybe you had your house built, how long do you have before it needs to be worked on? Somebody said like right away, right? Yeah, yeah. You buy an older house, you maybe have to put time into it almost immediately, right? Um, and And so on some level, we understand that Everything this side of heaven takes work and effort, and on some level, just to maintain the status quo, it takes work and effort, right? Because our world, the elements around us, the, the world in which we live is kind of continually chipping away at those things. So what is true of the world around us, I think we also know intuitively is also true for us spiritually. And for our faith. And so that's the importance that we're talking today about where we find our strength and where we are able to grow as believers. As I mentioned, uh, your house is never just static, there's always elements that are chipping away at it. Uh, there's a tribe in northeastern India that knows this a little bit better than maybe us. We live in a remarkably dry climate, and so as far as like deterioration of things. Maybe ours doesn't happen quite as fast. Uh, but the Kasi tribe in northeastern India um, it is, a, is a, a tropical zone. They are wet all the time. It is always hot. And uh, any of you that own a home, you know that the biggest kind of danger for your house is water, right? right? Water is relentless. Sooner or later, it kind of destroys. So this tribe, this Kasi tribe knew that. Uh, they've known that for generations, uh, and yet they had to live, right? They had to, to uh, build houses. They had to be able to get from one place to another. And they quickly realized that, at least in their climate where they lived, uh, um, building was remarkably difficult, and especially uh, structures that were going to get them to the places they needed to get. Lots and lots of water. Lots and lots of rivers, and if you are cut off from the people you love, from the places you need to go, it could literally be life-threatening. And so for many generations, they would would build bamboo bridges to span these waterways, to get across, to be able to get to where they needed to go. But as you can imagine, the torrential rains, the constant humidity, the, the presence of water all the time, sooner or later, the bridges, every single one of them would get knocked down. And so... They came up with kind of an ingenious solution in order to get to the places they needed to get. The Kasi tribes built living bridges. So you can get a little bit of a sense of what we're talking about here. They started to build bridges across waterways that would not wash away, bridges across waterways that in fact didn't get weaker over time, but actually got stronger over time. Can you guess how they did it? Yeah, you're looking at the vines there. These are actually roots, roots of the trees that were native, that are native in their land there. Uh, They would 
meticulously take these roots and start to string them uh, purposely across waterways. And these roots, these living roots, these living trees would continue to grow. And so the really ingenious thing about this is a living tree and a living root was able to resist uh, flash flooding. It was able to resist water. It was able to resist rotting. And over time, these root bridges actually become stronger and stronger and stronger. And so they found a way to get from one place to another without everything falling apart. There you can see one there, and this is my favorite one. This is a double-decker bridge that they go across, right? So this guy's having a little smoke break. I don't know if he was working on the bridge or not, right? He finished. Yeah, he finished. Yeah, he's, uh, he's taking a time out, right? But it's a beautiful, uh, um, it's an ingenious solution to the problem that they had in front of them. Now they have living bridges, which in some sense are even stronger than what they could have built with rock, stone, concrete, or bamboo. Living bridges that will never wash away, bridges that get stronger and stronger over time so that they never have to be worried that they're going to be cut off from family, friends, food, and the places they need to get to. I think it serves as a pretty good example for what we're going to talk about today. When we talk about the importance of being in God's Word, of allowing Scripture to to, um, be present in our lives, not just on a Sunday morning, but in all aspects of our lives, the Kasi people's living bridges, I think, become a beautiful illustration of that. A living, organic thing that carries us to the place we need to go. The very same thing is true for God's Word. As it strengthens your faith, as it lives and breathes in your life and in your living, it becomes stronger as we go and ultimately delivers us to eternity. So today, that's what we want to look at. It is incredibly important for us. Let me say that another way. It is foundational for us as believers to be in God's Word and to have God's Word present in our lives in all aspects. That's what we want to look at today. The Apostle Paul is going to help us understand that, uh, just how important it is for God's Word to dwell in us. So today, uh, we're going to look at maybe three different areas within our text. Uh, We want to talk about the importance of growth in God's Word. Um, We'll talk about knowledge, so what is it, right? What do we need to know? What does God want us to know? But we'll talk about also how we put that into action, right? Uh, um, How it actually shows itself in our living. And the last one, we'll talk just a little bit about the importance of of, uh, managing and prioritizing our time, specifically time in God's Word. So uh, if you'd like to follow along, those are kind of the three loose points that we're going to go through as we go go through our text here today. So knowledge, action, and time. Uh, But before we get that, we want to talk just a little bit about the context uh, and, and setting of our text today. So it is written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in a city, in the city of Colossae. So um, the Apostle Paul's letters were to these early Christian churches. And what's really wonderful about the New Testament, specifically Paul's letters to these churches, is each one of those congregations, in a sense, had, had different strengths and weaknesses, right? So no church, no congregation is perfect. Each of them has, has, has ways God's blessed them, but then also challenges within, uh, within them, right? And so 
that was the very same thing for those early Christian churches as well. And so Paul is writing to the Christians in the city of Colossae. So you can see it on the map here for, uh, in front of you here. Um, Colossae is kind of in the bottom, your bottom left right there. Uh, it's real near two other cities, Hierapolis and Laodicea. And uh, um, in that area, those three cities kind of had different, they had different tourist draws in a sense to each of them. Um, but one of the big, one of the big industries around that time, uh, specifically in the city of Hierapolis, uh, where there were there were natural like volcano vents and things. So uh, um, maybe a little bit similar to like Glenwood Springs or Strawberry Hot Springs, right? So there were areas in there, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae, um, where there were these natural kind of uh, um, um, gas fissures and things like that. Now, what that turned into is specifically in their area was this had become a, a tourist destination of sorts uh, for health and wellness. So not just physically, but it actually grown into an industry where you would come and if you sat next to one of those vents and you breathed in enough of that gas, guess what would happen? You'd have visions, right? Right? Um, we would maybe wonder whether that was very healthy for you or not, right? But they did that, right? And they capitalized off of that. And so they say, you come to this place and you will find spirituality, you will find visions. So that's what was kind of going on in the context of this Christian church in the city of Colossae. And so Paul writes to them, and, and, and really there's kind of two different things happening in their midst. Uh, the first is, that, that there, were, there were believers, there were members of their church uh, that had come from Judaism that on some level were trying to, to pull back some of the accomplishment of what Christ had done. Specifically, there were those that said, well, Jesus was pretty good and his death and resurrection were, were pretty good, but it, it wasn't quite complete. And so you Gentiles, you Christians from Colossae, you need to do some of these Old Testament things, right? You need to follow the Old Testament laws because what Jesus did was what maybe got you about halfway there or got you introduced to it, but we're going to require that you do some of these Old Testament things as well. So that was one influence that was happening within that congregation. The second, as I mentioned earlier, was just straight up paganism, right? Those that were coming into that region looking for a, a higher existence and spirituality, um, just looking for something that was hidden that they could, they could tap into if they just sat by the right volcano vent, right, or lava vent. So both of those things were happening here. And that's a little bit what Paul is addressing in our lesson today. Both those things. Really, they say the same thing, that Christ was okay but he wasn't sufficient. That what Jesus did was noble, but it didn't fix everything. That who Jesus was was important, but you needed something a little bit more. And so it's fascinating that both of the heresies, both of the pressures on the Christians in the city of Colossae, they may have looked outwardly very different, but they were both ands, right? Jesus and, right? So Jesus and the Old Testament regulations and ceremonial law. Jesus and trying to transcend, to tap into some mystic, hidden understanding of God. 
So Paul, in his letter, really is addressing both of those things, right? He is saying to them, it's not Jesus and, it's just Jesus. And where do you find him? Paul says, he's not hidden, and you don't have to sit by a, a, an exhaust vent, right, of a lava tube, and you don't have to go back to the Old Testament and follow those laws in, in hopes that you're going to complete something, but you find him in his word. It's sufficient for you. And so, when Paul speaks to these Christians in Colossae, it's good for us to understand that setting. Because I think on some level, maybe we feel those pressures in our life as well. Let me put it this way. I think there are times when our access to God's Word and to the Bible becomes so ordinary for us that either we forget about it altogether Or we start trying to look for things to add to it. And so I think those pressures are on us as well. That's why Paul addresses them. So let's jump into our text here this morning. Uh, You're welcome to follow along with me if you would like. Uh, First thing we'll talk about is just that that knowledge of what does God and what does Paul want us to know. So um, we're going to read just the first couple verses for you here. Actually, verse 15 and half of verse 16. Paul says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. That's fascinating, isn't it? So the message of Christ dwell among you. That Greek word dwell, it's a little bit richer maybe than even our English conveys, but it means to be in, with, and under. It means to exist and inhabit you, right? If you dwell somewhere, if you talk about where you live and your home, that's probably where your most intimate, personal things reside. Um, Not just your things, but also your people, your family, right? So we understand how important our dwelling places are. What Paul is saying to the Christians in Colossae and us here today is he's saying, let that message of Christ, that Christ is sufficient, dwell in us. As I mentioned earlier, I think on a practical level, we do understand that, right? The importance of of being in God's Word and having touch points with it on a regular basis. Because you know that in your work lives and maybe in your schooling, right? How many of you do continuing education? How many of you get to do continuing education? Okay, yeah, right, right? Why do companies do it? Yeah, some of you are like, I have no idea why they do it, right? Yeah, right. In theory, they do it in order to either teach you new skills or keep the skills you have sharp, right? And to continue that growth within your company, right? Within school, right? If you're a student, uh, um, why are you going to school? It's, it is in order to grow. And so I, th- I would argue in almost every aspect of our lives, there is some requirement of an investment of us putting ourselves into it. If you want to hike a 14er or run a marathon, you have to invest in it, right? Uh, with our, our, our health, right? We have to, to um, make the attempt, we have to try to eat right. So all these areas of our life, I think we understand that if we invest in the right things, it will benefit us in some way. 
Now, what does that mean when we talk about God's Word? I don't think it's any different. And in fact, Paul is telling us that. He's saying, let the message of Christ dwell in you. Invest in it. And amazingly, what does God do? He invests in you. He strengthens faith, right? This last week, uh, we started our English classes here at CVL. And we had uh, first, this is from Tuesday, we had nine people that came to learn English. I don't think any of them had to. Do you know why they're doing it? To grow, to be able to communicate, to, to be able to, to uh, move forward, to be able to talk to their kids and their kids' teachers and to be able to shop at King Supers. And so we had adults that willingly chose to come to CVL on Tuesday and Thursday night and we had teachers that were willing to teach them, right? Because they understood the importance of growth of an, and invest, investing in that, right? The very same thing is true for us and specifically about the time we spend in God's Word and how important that is for us. I found this poll. A question was asked, how much of the Bible have you personally read? And I couldn't find the details of it. I don't know if they were talking about in one year, but they are talking specifically to those who would call themselves Christians, call themselves disciples of Jesus, right? So how much of the Bible have you personally read? You can see some of the statistics there. Um, it's a little bit fascinating for me. 10% of professing Christians said none of it, right? right? I haven't read any of the Bible. And yet, on some level, still called themselves Christians and followers of Christ, right? 13%, only a few sentences, right? 30%, several passages or stories. So maybe you know some of the high points of that. 15%, at least half of it. 12%, almost all of it. 11% said all of it. And for the high achievers, 9% said all of it more than once, right? So that's why knowing the, the time frame of this would be kind of nice, right? Was that in a year or, or, or not, right? But look at that pie chart and think in your own mind, where would I have fallen? So someone asked me this question and it was completely anonymous and your pastor was not going to know, and your family was not going to know, and no one would ever know, where do you land, right? I think it's a worthwhile question for us to ask of ourselves. We call ourselves Christians. We come here on a Sunday morning, but the fuel that feeds our faith and our Christian living is found in no other place than in God's Word. And so it makes sense that we are actually in God's Word, doesn't it? Letting it dwell in us, in our lives and in our living. Now, that's important for a few different reasons. First and foremost, when you are in Scripture, God says He's going to do something for you. Specifically, He says, I will strengthen your faith. As you read the Bible, whether that's in personal devotions, in group Bible study, maybe it's through a podcast, through any variety of things, God says, I will bless you. I will strengthen your faith, right? That's the first thing. There's a second thing I think that's pretty important for us. When you look at these statistics, 
And this was the question asked of us as Christians in America. If we as believers aren't actually in the sacred text that contains Christ, then who is? If we as believers don't know what the Bible actually says, then who will? The answer is no one will. Or an even worse answer, the unbelieving world around us will fill in the blanks. And you've maybe felt that, right? Times where the world around us is happy to fill in what a Christian looks like, how they act, what they should be, what God must be about. And I guarantee you, it's usually not a very flattering picture that they paint. And so part of the problem is us as believers. If we aren't in God's word, if we don't know scripture, there's a world around us that is happy to fill in the blanks and create a caricature of what Christianity is and more specifically of who Jesus is. And so it is vitally important. It is the, the, the foundation of our faith to be in God's Word, to understand Him, to, to, to uh, um, be curious about our God, the love He has for us, and specifically, Christ as our Lord and Savior. So that's the first one. We talk about knowledge, knowledge of Christ and Scripture. It's remarkably important for us. But uh, we also talk about action. So I'm going to read for you the uh, second half of verse 16, because Paul goes on. He says, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing God with gratitude in your hearts. So now Paul uses this word wisdom, and my first point of our sermon was knowledge. But you also understand that just knowledge in your head is a little bit different than wisdom. Someone used the definition for wisdom that it is knowledge applied, right? That wisdom is knowledge applied. And so when Paul talks about Scripture and God's Word, he says this cannot just be an academic exercise. This cannot just be something on, the pay, on paper, but really he wants us to grow in our wisdom, which means knowledge put into practice in our Christian living. So not just head, but in actually how we live and how we treat one another and how we interact with the world around us. Now, how easy is that to do? I would argue maybe this is the hardest step in what we're talking about. Because my point one, you all are, are, are smart, well-adapted adults, and so you got it. In fact, point one of my sermon, you're like, yeah, we got it. We got it, Pastor. Next. Right? But this is the one that becomes hard, doesn't it? Because it's not just understanding right? Who Christ is and what he's done for us. It's not just what happens in your head, but how does it make it to your heart and ultimately into your Christian living? I think that's the place where it becomes a little bit more difficult. But the truth is, what is in our head and in our hearts makes it into our actions one way or another. Sometimes in good, God-glorifying ways, sometimes not. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Christians in Colossae, talked about that struggle. The good I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, I keep on 
doing. And so you hear the Apostle Paul, arguably um, the greatest Christian missionary the Christian church has ever had, talk about that struggle of action, right? Of doing what gives God glory versus what gives us glory. What is selfless versus selfish, right? And so what can we do about it? I think part of it is being aware. But I think the second, the second part is simply striving to put that into action, even if it is imperfect. Someone asked Martin Luther once about sin, about uh, actions in our lives that do not give God glory, but ultimately are selfish. And he said this about it. He said, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Right? It's a pretty good quote. When we talk about knowledge of Christ and what he wants of us and what God wants of us, I think this is a great quote to think through. We will not be sinless in our actions, in our thoughts, and in our Christian living, but we can make every attempt not to allow those things to lodge and make nests in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones. This is wisdom, right? Knowledge applied. So, knowledge, action. Last one, we'll talk a little bit about time. Paul says this in verse 17. It says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And so Paul kind of makes it all encompassing, doesn't he? Whatever you do. So he is saying all of it. Right? From the things that we would consider the most menial in our lives to the things that we would label as the most important in our lives. What the Apostle Paul is saying to the Christians in Colossae and to us here today is whatever you do, all of your Christian living, and remember that word dwell, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So on some level as believers, there is nothing that is off limits. Now, that has implications for how we use our time doesn't it? How we prioritize our time. Um, how we use that time either to honor and glorify our God above or to fill our own desires, right? Now, here's the hard part about that one. Uh, we also live in a country that on some level encourages you to prioritize things that are not necessarily God and His Word. Um, do more. Someone called this workism and maybe the greatest idol that we as Americans have, right? Do more. Do any of you have that screensaver on your computer? You're like, no, I'm stressed out just looking at that. Why would someone do that, right? But the truth is we understand that on some level. That we live in a world which we are continually asked and urged and participate in doing more, right? Someone called that workism. Uh, a, a woman, Judith uh, Shulevitz, she wrote an article in the Atlantic titled, Why You Never See Your Friends Anymore? Our unpredictable and overburdened schedules are taking a dire toll on American society. So she identifies a little bit that idol of workism, of how we fill our lives with doing more Sometimes at the expense of relationships, not only with our God above, but with the people around us. Judith says this, 
Hours in which we work, rest, and socialize are becoming ever more desynchronized. Whereas we once shared the same temporal rhythms, five days on, two days off, federal holidays, thank God it's Friday, um, our weeks are now shaped by the unpredictable dictates of our employers. Nearly, nearly a fifth of Americans hold jobs with non-standard or variable hours. They may work seasonally on rotating shifts or in the gig economy driving for Uber or delivering for Postmates. Meanwhile, more people on the upper end of the pay scale are working long hours. Combine the people who have unpredictable work weeks with those who have prolonged ones, and you get a good third of the American workforce. And so, when Paul says everything, we understand that the forces of the world in which we live in, that you live in, are pushing back against that. They're pushing back against you setting aside time to be in His Word, to, to nourish your relationship with your God above, and a cascading effect, it works against deep relationships with other people. Right? That's the byproduct of that. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, are we just supposed to sit around and hang out with one another, Pastor? Maybe. Actually, it doesn't sound too bad, does it? And do you know that there was a time when we did do that? When weekends, that is what you did, is you spent time with your neighbors. You had set aside time of unhurried living. Nothing on the schedule, imagine. Right? Just a block of time where you can just be and develop relationships. The world in which we live, I think, pushes against any level of us spending our time in God's Word and fueling that relationship with Him above. What would Paul say to us if he was here? I think he would say push back. If you read the Apostle Paul, he was never, he was never uh, quiet about things, right? But I think he would say push back, right? Guard your hearts. Guard your time. Spend time in God's Word, drinking from the, the, the reality of who Jesus is and most specifically the forgiveness of sins that we find in no place else other than on the pages of Scripture. Remember, Paul was addressing two cultural pushes, heresies that were, that were pressing in on that church in Colossae. Paul pushes back out on them and says, Christ, as found in his word, is sufficient. His death on the cross was enough. It was enough for you, for every last sin that you've committed. Christ is enough, which means you are enough. Your value is not dependent on how busy your kids are, on, how, on the, the, how great your career is, and how packed your schedule is. Your value is dependent on Christ. And Christ said, I value you enough that I will lay down my life on the cross so you will be washed clean. And where do you get to hear about that every single time? Pages of Scripture. It's in the Bible that we are reminded, that you are reminded of the incredible eternal love that God has for you, that you are loved and forgiven and eternal life is yours. And so how do we push back on the, the cultural forces around us? We take time out of our lives to actually be in God's Word. And I've got one suggestion for you here today. Actually, I've got lots of suggestions, but one I'm going to highlight 
How many of you do family meals still? Okay, some of, yeah, okay, some of you still do. Um, the rest of you are maybe like me where you're like, I think I'm supposed to raise my hand, right? But they become tough, don't they? Any meal that you spend together, right, becomes harder and harder. And even more difficult if you've got kids and family in our busy lives, right? But did you know that uh, the family meal is one of the most important indicators of, of family unity and even more importantly, scriptural unity or biblical foundation for families. Here are some benefits that come from having dinner together. Improved mental health. Okay, take that. It bonds families and friends. So maybe some of you are retired, maybe some of you are single. Um, This is not just for families, but communal eating with people that you care deeply about, right, creates bonds, right? It boosts development in your kids. Your kids also get better grades because... Who doesn't want their kids to get better grades, right? It improves physical health. They actually have studies that show that when we eat together with other people, we actually eat healthier. When I eat alone, you want to know where I eat? Let me just tell you, I have thousands and thousands of reward points for the golden arches, which is right out there. That's almost all solo eating, right? So improved physical health. And last one, if you like to watch your pocketbook, increase savings. It's actually cheaper to eat together, right? This week, actually, in your bulletin, um, we're going to ask of you, no matter what your families may look like, no matter where you're at, to take one meal a week to eat dinner together, okay? You're going to see there's a few questions. There's a prayer, a couple questions, scripture reading. But that's a little bit of our challenge. We talk about pushing back about pushing back on the demands of our time and spending time in God's Word. And CVL has lots of ways that you can do that through our connect groups, through personal devotions. Maybe it's a podcast. Maybe it's listening to the Bible on your way to work or back. This is one that we think can have some impact. It's asking one meal a week, eat with somebody else, right? Say a prayer, read those questions. Maybe it's you and your kids. But push back on the demands of your time, right? Jealously um, um, guard that time, not only with your family, with your loved ones, with the people that you care about, but most importantly with your God above. And here's the beautiful thing about that. When you spend time in God's word, he says, I'm going to bless you. He blesses you as an individual. He blesses you as families. He blesses you as friends. And in turn, he blesses us as a congregation. Amen.